You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Before we jump into this very, very uh, challenging uh, passage, let me introduce myself because I do see some visitors here this morning. So my name is Justin. I serve as our associate pastor, and so just want to welcome you, especially you're visiting for the first time. Really glad that you're here. We always aim to be a church that welcomes anyone, no matter where they're at coming from spiritually, and hope you've already been warmly greeted and that you experience God's love uh, for you this morning. Uh, We are continuing in our series. It's a 19-week series overall, so this is week 18, one more to go, and the Sermon on the Mount. And so we've been wrapping up the series, and we're coming to an interesting part of the series, part of the whole sermon, because like every good teacher does at the end of a sermon, what do you do? Application, right? You try to move toward application, right? And this is actually what happens when Jesus has been doing all this teaching that we've been looking at for weeks and weeks, and now he actually turns a corner and starts to apply it, and he challenges the people to apply the words that he's speaking with them. If you were with us last week, Jake did a really great job uh, pointing us to verse 12 in chapter 7, which was really kind of a summary of all the teaching that had been coming up to that point. Verse 12 says this, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. And so we've been using this, I'll keep, keep using the word, it's overused maybe perhaps for this series, but it's, it's worth repeating, that this is kind of Jesus' kingdom manifesto, it's his, his vision for what the kingdom would look like, what people who are part of his kingdom would look like. And he began with kind of a preamble describing like the type of people that get to enter this kingdom and the influence they can have in the world, and then midway through chapter 5 in Matthew, he's just been going teaching after teaching after teaching, describing what it's like for us to live under the kingdom. What does it look like for the citizens of the kingdom to live out their lives in the world? And so for 16 weeks, we looked at things like anger, lust, marriage, keeping promises, loving your neighbors, loving your enemies, generosity, prayer, fasting, money, worry, judging others, and more. And so he's gone all through that, teaching us how we're to live under his rule and his reign, summarized in this great golden rule that just to live rightly with God, live rightly with others. And so now he's going to turn to application. He summarized it last week, and now we're moving to application. In this application, there's really two things that I think that are happening that I want us to focus on today. There's both an invitation of Jesus to come and follow him, but there's also a warning of Jesus about what it would look like not to follow him. And so there's an invitation, and there's a warning. And the way I'm going to kind of lay out the sermon is there's just illustrations that he uses. We're going to look at uh, two different ways, two different trees, and two different endings, okay? Two ways, two trees, two endings. Let's look first at two ways. Enter by the narrow gate, verse 13. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. So again, as Jesus nears the end of his sermon right now, what he's doing is he's inviting the people to practice the way of Jesus. He's taught them all of this, and he's saying, now I want you to come along with me, and you're in, this invitation is for you to come with me along this narrow way, all this way that we've been talking about how you can live in the kingdom. Come, come with me down this narrow path. And he's contrasting it, we're going to see, with the way of religion and the way of the world, which is actually the broad way. And this was pretty common for teachers in that day, you know, kind of pointing people to application, particularly if you were Jewish, because if you, go, if you grew up in the Hebrew tradition, one of the things that you read was the prophets, and you know all the stories of time and time again, particularly when the people of God would wander away from God, and slowly their religion would just become rote and just rules and exterior stuff. God would raise up prophets, and the prophets would challenge them 
often with very long sermons like Jesus is giving here. And often at the end of their sermons, they would say, what we're gonna see Jesus saying here, like there's a fork in the road, guys. You're gonna choose this way, you're gonna choose this way. Like, like consider Moses. In Moses' famous sermon at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, he's gathered all the people just about to go into the promised land. He's reminding them of all the curses that will come from walking away from God and all the blessings that will come from following him. At the end of his sermon, he says this, I set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God, listen to his voice and hold fast to him. There on the mountain with all the people of Israel, choose today, there's a, there's a path of life, there's a path of destruction, choose life, I urge you. Or his predecessor, or his, the one who followed him rather was Joshua. Joshua, near the end of his life, the people had started to wander away from God and were worshiping other gods and so he calls them all back together and he challenges them like, I'm putting a fork in the road, guys, let's, let's follow God, not idols. At the end of his famous sermon, he says this, as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Fork in the road, man. I'm, t- I'm telling you which way I'm going. Follow me. Come with me. Or Samuel did the same thing at a time when the, when the people of Israel had wandered away and started worshiping idols. They were captive by the Philistines. He calls them all together and gives a dramatic sermon calling them to follow God again. And he ends the sermon this way. If you're returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of foreign gods and asterisks and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him and him only, and he will deliver you from the hands of the Philistines. Or perhaps my favorite is Elijah's story, where the people had been worshiping this foreign god, Baal, and he gathers all the people and all the prophets and all the people that come to this mountain, and he calls them, like, you gotta decide today, are you gonna follow God, or are you gonna follow Baal? And his sermon ends this way. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. So I remind you of all this, just to, to try to picture the people and Jesus on the mountain here with him, these people who are very familiar with, with all this history, and they're to- going to a moment hearing another prophet, or Jesus speaking about the way of the kingdom and how far off they had gotten, and he's calling them to follow. He's put a fork in the road again. It's, you're gonna choose this path or you're gonna choose this path. That's what Jesus is doing here. Jesus puts a fork in the road and says, which way are you gonna go? And again, the two ways are, are you gonna practice the way of Jesus by following all that I've just spoken to you? These last 15 weeks that we did of this kind of meat of the sermon, are you gonna follow me by living this way? Or are you gonna practice a different way? And the way that he says then is not just an invitation, it's actually a warning because that pathway leads to destruction. And so the question is, as I, at least as I was studying this passage today, that, or this week, the real question was like, well, what is this path? What is the path that Jesus is talking about that leads to destruction? And I would argue both from things that are said earlier in Jesus' sermon and then what he's gonna say in the very next verses that we'll look at next, that the path that he was specifically referring to here was going the way of religion. That's the path. That's the broad path. That's the path of that day that everyone was going the way of religion. And he's telling them this is the way of the Pharisees. And you get this a little bit because as you really look at the whole sermon, throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus continues to contrast his way with the Pharisees' way. So he did his preamble, like which type of people are invited into the kingdom. He talks about the influence they could have in the world, and then he starts the meat of the sermon about how to live in the kingdom, and he starts it this way in chapter five, just to remind us. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not, one small, not the smallest letter or the least stroke of pen will by means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, if anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly, they will be called least in the kingdom. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
right from the jump of the sermon, in the meat of the sermon, after the introduction, he's going to compare his way with the Pharisees' way. And he begins to do that. He continues to do that throughout the whole rest of the sermon. If you remember, the very next part of it, after he gets past that part, he looks at several different things. He looks at anger and lust and divorce and oaths, uh, retaliation and loving your enemies, six different things. And with every single one of them, he says, you have heard that it was said, but I say... Every time you've heard that it was said, but I say what he's doing is contrasting, like here's what you've heard, here's what your religion has taught you so far, but here's my way, it's a different way. Because Jesus taught that spiritual formation and growing in holiness was not just about external obedience. That's just about compliance with a bunch of rules or, or practicing all of the rituals. It was about something in your heart. It was about internal change. That's what Jesus was saying, comparing himself to the way of the Pharisees, the things they'd heard. Or then when you go into chapter six, he actually is even more direct about it because he talks about giving and prayer and fasting. With each one, he says, when you pray, when you give, when you fast, do not do it like, like the Pharisees do. Don't do it like they do. Because he points the way that they went through, that their practices of their spiritual disciplines were really just to win the approval of other people, let other people watch on and see what they're doing. But for Jesus, spiritual transformation is a different way. It's a completely different way. It's about seeking God for God, that he's the reward. And when you come to realize that God's the reward that you, that you seek, he goes on to explain, then you can store up treasures in heaven and you can care more about heavenly things and earthly things, which frees you from worry in the world. And then while he doesn't necessarily point directly to the Pharisees in chapter seven, uh, we're pretty sure that he's talking about them when he says, don't judge other people. Don't look at this, you know, if you've got the sawdust in your eye, don't look at, you've got a plank in your, or sawdust in someone else's eye when you've got a plank in your own eye. Don't judge. Because Jesus is saying the way of spiritual formation by my way is one of self-reflection. It's one of humility. Very different from the way of the world and the way of religion. And Jesus was contrasting this throughout the sermon. So it's my opinion that when he talks about this broad way, what he's talking about is a broad way of religion. And he's saying right now, you've got to decide. You've got to decide, are you going to go the way of religion or are you going to follow me in this new way that I'm proclaiming to you right now? And the same invitation awaits us today. It's the same invitation that he would make. So let's take a minute to think about the way of religion, what it meant for their day and what it meant for our day. We get a pretty good picture of what I've already said, but in the same way that, that Moses and Joshua, Samuel and Elijah spoke to their generation, Jesus is raising up to say, you guys have gotten way off track. You've gotten really off course and your understanding of who I am and what it means to follow me. And Jesus is saying, I'm gonna teach you a new way. Because for them, it had become all about external obedience. It became about just doing the things that you were supposed to do and following the rituals. It became about earning God's favor. It became about, and then what it resulted in actually was very judgmental, hypocritical people that were actually spiritually deformed instead of spiritually formed. That was the broad path of that day. In a very religious culture, when Jesus was speaking to people who were all from that faith, that was the way that they knew and what they thought. That was the broad, and though it sounds hard to us, for them, that was the easy way, the normal way to go, and he's calling them to something different. Now, I know this could have been the case for some of you. Uh, some of you may have been the type of people that grew up in a Christian culture. Maybe you were raised in church, maybe your family was raised in the church, and I know there's some of you that I, I know your stories. You would actually say this might have been true for you as well, that you grew up in a culture, whether your own family or your spiritual family within your church that just they mainly focused on your external conformity. Follow the rules. Do the things that you're supposed to do. You will do this, you will do that. Here are the rules. And here are actually some extra, extra big rules that if you break these, then you really don't belong anymore. You're outside of it. 
They didn't maybe speak to your heart when you were struggling with an issue. You didn't have a pastor or a leader who could help you get to maybe the root or the heart of maybe some of your doubts or your struggles or your addictions. Maybe you didn't hear people talk about spiritual formation the way that Jesus did, about something needing to take place inside of you from the inside out instead of just compliance externally. I know some of you grew up that way, and you maybe can relate and say, yeah, that's the way of religion. I've experienced that. I want to go the way of Jesus instead. I would also argue that maybe what's maybe a little bit more common for us, if I'm trying to take what was Jesus' you know, main group of people he was speaking to, I would say for us it's a little bit different because we grew up overall in a far less religious culture, particularly those of us who didn't come to faith like as a child or through our families. And I would say for those of us, the broad way is actually the way of the world. The broadest way that we have in our, in our society right now is to move the way of the world. That is the broad, and that's the easiest path. And you know what's unique about the way of the world? The world would say something very different because the way of religion says conform, conform, conform. Do these exterior things, but the way of the world says don't conform. Don't conform to anything. You be you. You be you. Be true to yourself. Some of you may have been taught by parents, by teachers, and even by religious leaders that you should not conform to anything except your own desires and the passions that you have within you. Because after all, you know yourself better than anyone else. Just be true to yourself. And this, I believe, at least in our culture, for many of us, if we didn't grow up in the Christian culture, that is the way of the world. And that's the easy and broad way that we can go down today. So Jesus' invitation is an invitation to us. But it's also a warning for us today that he invites us to follow him down a path very different from those two roads of religion in the world. Because I think Jesus knew something. He knew something about the destruction of the path of religion. People that are headed down the religious path, they're gonna perform their religious duties, they're gonna, but they're gonna at the same time grow more and more mean, more and more judgmental. They're gonna perform their religious duties, yet they're gonna harbor secret sins within themselves. They're gonna perform their religious duties, but they're gonna do them just to try to get God somehow in their favor. And when God doesn't play in their game, they're gonna grow bitter toward God. People down that destructive path, they're gonna perform their religious duties just to impress others and even to maybe somehow get authority over them in some way. Those people are gonna perform their religious duties without ever considering the state of their heart, maybe saddest of all, they're gonna perform their religious duties and never grow in their actual affection and love for God. That's a destructive way of religion. There's also a destructive way of the world. And those people who follow the path of the world, they're gonna say, they're gonna be true to themselves, but they're gonna disregard God's word and create an own word for themselves. They're gonna be true to themselves by not listening to the advice of the people that really know them and love them best. They're gonna be true to themselves by embracing what they call freedom or find out that it's really slavery and they're full of pain. They'll be true to themselves just to win the favor now over a separate group of their new community just like the Pharisees had a community that they had to win over as well. They're gonna be true to themselves by preaching tolerance that they want toward them, but inwardly they're gonna grow in their disdain and hatred toward anyone who thinks something differently than them. And worst of all, they're gonna be true to themselves, but they're gonna believe that God no longer loves them and that he judges them. See, both of those broad paths are the paths that we can take that lead to destruction, and Jesus is calling us to a completely different way. And he says, though, of his way that his way is going to be hard. That's the word he uses. It's gonna be a narrow way and it's gonna be a hard way. I thought some this week, like what is it about Jesus' path that seems like it would be hard even though it promises life, like the reward is great, but it's hard in multiple ways in my opinion. It's hard because it requires brokenness. It requires admitting that you need God. It's hard because it, it requires submission. 
You have to live by faith and believe that what Jesus' way is better than your way, even if it doesn't go against what you are feeling or your desires are. It's hard because his commands are darn challenging. <laughs> I mean, we're reading the Sermon on the Mount, and it's hard because, man, it's hard. And it's not just hard because the, the commands are hard. It's hard because to get there requires a lot of internal work, and you've got to allow the Holy Spirit to do so much to wreck your life and change you. And it's hard, too. As he pointed out, it's hard because it's lonely. He said that few people are going to follow that path. And it's hard to be the fish that's going against the water in our culture. If we follow the hard and narrow way of following Jesus, though, it's imperative that we listen to his voice because the voices of religion and the voices of the world are always fighting actively against us for our allegiance. They're trying to pull us from the path and from the way of Jesus, which I, I think the second warning is here, and the second warning is also why I believe that Jesus' primary what way that he was thinking about the broad path was the path of a religion because of what he says next when he talks about two trees. Beware the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. Inwardly, they're ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good fruit, or cannot, or cannot bear, bad, bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Six times in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus uses this word, beware. And every time he says beware, it's beware of the false prophets. Beware because Jesus knew about the gravitational pull toward the way of religion. It's always there. It's pulling. It's calling out. It's easy. It's where you can check a box and you know if you're doing well. It's, it's always pulling at you. And so he knew, beware, beware, beware of these false prophets. The truth is, and the sad truth, is that the way of religion and the way of the world are actually very, very deceptive. Their messaging feels like it's right, but it's just off enough. And Jesus knew that's why he warned that these people are gonna be like sheep, but they're actually wolves, they're ravenous wolves. The way of the world and the way of religion is so deceptive, and sadly it's tra and tragically, it's very easy to move from the path of Jesus to the path of religion. It's very easy to move from the path of Jesus to the path of the world, especially because there's so many powerful messages that are out there, deceitful messages buying for our attention. If you've lived long enough, you've witnessed people that you've seen leave the path of Jesus to follow the way of religion. And you've grieved when you've seen it. If you've lived long enough, you've seen people leave the path of Jesus to, to follow the path of the world. And if you're honest enough, you know that you've done it too. And you've had to call yourself back, which is what Jesus is doing today. I love this book, uh, Accidental Phar Pharisees. Larry Osborne, he wrote a, bo uh, a book specifically about this, about particularly how the pull of religion can actually turn us into Pharisees, and he opens his book this way. Let's be honest. Passionate faith can have a dark side, a really dark side. Just ask Jesus. When he showed up as God in the flesh, those who thought of themselves as God's biggest fans and defenders wanted nothing to do with him. They tried to shut him up. When they couldn't, they killed him. It's obviously, it's obviously passion gone bad, but the accidental Pharisees aren't the only example of this dark side of overzealous faith. Our history books are filled with examples. Just think of the Crusades and the Inquisitions for starters. But that's not why I wrote this book. It's not, about it's not about ancient Pharisees. It's about accidental Pharisees. People like you and me who, despite our best intentions and our desire to honor God unwittingly, end up pursuing an overzealous model of faith that sabotages the work of the Lord that we think we're serving. 
The problem is not spiritual zeal. That's a good thing. We're called to be zealous for the Lord. The problem is unaligned spiritual passion, a zeal for the Lord that falls in line, uh, fails to align up with the totality of Scripture. Unfortunately, most of us think unaligned zeal as someone else's problem. We have a hard time seeing it in ourselves. So true. I won't name names, but I'll just put insert name or group here. Insert name or group here. They start really well in the faith, but they end up in the wrong path because of the sway or the pull of money. Insert name here. Starts well, but ends up in the wrong path because of the pull of power. Insert name or religious group here. Starts off well, but ends up a cult leader because of the pull of control. Or insert name here. Starts well, but ends up being a Christian nationalist because of the pull of politics. Or insert name here. Starts well, but ends up an unorthodox and progressive in their faith because of the pull of culture. Like we've all witnessed these things. We've seen people move from these two paths. And Jesus is warning, watch out. These are public examples. Um, you can think of the ones that I was probably mentioning in those examples. Leaders losing their way finding themselves on the path of religion or finding themselves on the path of the world. But the truth is those, those examples are great out there, but the truth is that we have a hard time seeing it in ourselves. And I think Jesus wants us to see it in ourselves, but he also wants us, particularly in this passage where he's speaking about, is to watch out, beware, and see it in others. And he gives us a couple tests. He says that we're supposed to judge those voices by their fruit. So whether it's religious voices or worldly voices, one of the things we ought to do is look at the character of their lives and look at the people and the influence that they have around them and say, are those the type of people that we would like to be? I think by fruit, Jesus at least means first character. He meant that we should only listen to teachers whose character matches their teaching, people who practice what they preach, who have character, have the fruit of the Spirit that Paul describes, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. We want to find people who follow, as Jesus summarized this sermon, this, this golden rule of complete capacity to continually love others above themselves. Those are the type of people that we should be listening to. And maybe most importantly, in regard to character, we should listen to people who are repentant when they don't follow those ways because nobody's perfect. But we should look for that in the character of the voices of the people that we're listening to. He also says that I think fruit can mean people that we're meant to look at the, the outcome of the person's ministry in their life and say, is this people generally, are they producing the kind of people that I would want to become? Are the people that, are influ that he's in, he or she is influencing, are they becoming more like Jesus? Are they following and being faithful to so much of the stuff that, we've that is in the Sermon on the Mount? To both the people and the character, and same here, no one's perfect. We can't judge every person by the fruit of the, the people in their lives because there's always exceptions to that as well. And this is a pretty awkward passage to preach as a, as a, as a teacher, right? So I've got to be honest and say, like, um, welcome. <laughs> like, yes, you should apply this to me and apply it more to Jake for sure. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's literally the only joke in the sermon. It's too, it's, it's too serious. Um, but for real, like if there are things in our lives, if there are things in the lives that, that you call to question, you need to bring them to us that we can hear you and consider it. If you feel there's false teaching, you need to bring it to us so that we can hear it and consider it. And when we're wrong, we'll confess and we'll repent. And that's the invitation that this has. But I think this is not just necessarily talking about pastors and teachers. That's the easiest way that we can look at this, right? 
easiest ways to think, well, I just, it only applies to pastors and teachers, but I want to argue that this can apply to all voices in your life, especially now. We can all plug in a podcast and listen to anything we want at any time. We can follow any news channel we want to at any time. We've got weird sounds happening. That's all right. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to carry on as if that nothing's happening, nothing to see here. But I would argue that's the truth. So when you think about when Jesus warning here to watch out for false prophets, watch out for those that are going to call you to the religious path, watch out for those that are going to call you to the worldly path. It's not just teachers. It's, it's anyone in your life that's speaking to you. This could be family members. This could be media networks. This could be podcasts. Beware of the people that you're listening to. So I appeal to you with the heart of Jesus, beware. There are religious leaders and communities of people out there who want to pull you off the path of Jesus. I want you to judge them by their fruit, and flee those who are false teachers. There are false teachers in our day who will lead you down the path of being self-righteous and unorthodox, progressive, a Christian nationalist, a health wealth believer. Those voices are out there. Beware. And then I appeal to you with the heart of Jesus. Beware of the worldly leaders and the worldly communities and people out there who want to pull you off the path of Jesus and onto the way of the world because there are false teachers in our day and age that will lead you down the path of becoming your own God, questioning your identity and make, being made in the image of God. They'll t- try to get you to proclaim that you're free when you're not free, when actually the freedom they're proclaiming is actually slavery. They'll have you reject the people that know and love you best to win the favor of those who don't. And the list goes on and on. So beware. Jesus means it. You know what? We need each other to do this too. Because part of the beware and the part of the way that we can judge fruit is we can help each other discern the voice of Jesus apart from the voice of religion and the voice of the world. We need each other. And I thought about taking a whole little divergent in the sermon to talk about so many passages because so much of the New Testament, when the, the, when the early uh, apostles are writing the churches, almost all of the books have some component about discerning the truth. And watch out, watch out, watch out. They're taking the words of Jesus and saying, we still all need to be watching out. We need to watch out actually together. As a community, we need each other. So I just want to point us to one. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul would write it this way. Do not quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to the good and reject every kind of evil. Meaning with all the messages and stuff that we receive, it's the best thing that we can do is to be in a community. As a church here and in smaller groups and in tighter groups and in midtown communities, be a place where we discern all the messages that we're receiving in the world and discern them together and we do what this passage says. Reject the bad. Hold on to the good. Let's pursue this together. You hear us say it. We've got it on a little sign over here that our desire is so so strong that we want to follow the way of Jesus together in Austin. That together is important. (laughs) We want to follow the way of Jesus and we need each other to help us reject the messages of the world, reject the messages of religion and practice the way of Jesus together. I want to let you know, too, that our elders and our staff and our women's leadership team, we take this very seriously. Like, we, we want to be on the path of Jesus, and we want to call all of us to the path of Jesus and stay on that path together in Austin. Soberly, Jesus ends with what I'll call two endings. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name or cast out demons in your name? Do mighty works in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of lawlessness. Very sobering passage, right? 
Jesus speaks to the tragic end of those who've taken the wrong path. They've taken the broad and wide path. They've taken the way of religion or they've taken the way of the world. And in the end, they've not really been known by the Father. Remember the two paths again. I just want to draw us back again because these are the two ones that Jesus was trying to draw, the Pharisee's path. Again, it was one of external, external um, conformity. It was one of hypocrisy. It was of religious duties and doing your acts, looking for rewards from others. It was one of judgment. It was one of exclusion of God. It was one of trying to earn God's love by what you do. Jesus' path is laid out in the Sermon on the Mount. It's very different. It's one of transformation of the heart. It's one of integrity. It's one of private religious acts where God himself is the reward. It's a, it's a way of self-reflection and inclusion of others. It's receiving God's love and following him through grace and by faith. But tragically, he says that some people are going to find themselves on this other path. <clears throat> it is one of the most terrifying warnings in Scripture, I believe. But it's found here in the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> which we continue to say, this is Jesus' This is Jesus' master sermon. And at the very end, when he gets to the point of application, what he says is this, this haunting truth that you could be on the wrong path. He's warning them, come. Here's the invitation. Come follow me. He's warning them, be careful who you listen to. Be careful the voices in your life, the things you're allowing in, because they can take you right off the path. Be careful, beware. We need each other to stay on this path. Speaking as your pastor, um, I don't believe that Jesus shared these words for us to constantly be questioning our salvation and wondering about that. Uh, so many other times Jesus speaks about the fact that he is not going to lose any of his own. He speaks about no one being able to be plucked from the Father's hand. I don't think this is what we're meant to do, but I do think it's meant to sober us up, to take a long, hard look at who we've been listening to and are they pulling us toward religion or the world, or are they pulling us to the way of Jesus? The warning reminds us to be wise to consider who we're listening to and what path we're on. And so as Jesus kind of comes to the point of application, um, I think it would be fitting that I do the same, <laughs> that we ask you now to apply this specifically depending on where you are. Uh, for those of you, first let me speak to those of you who you've maybe yet to put your faith in Jesus. Maybe you're investigating Jesus, you've been thinking about it, or you're here for the first time at church and you've, you've like never been to one in, in your life. Can I just speak to you for a moment and just say, man, Jesus is the path to life. Choose, choose to follow him today. Like you can right now, you can right now in your heart just say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I've, I've been following the way of the world or following the way of religion. I, I want off. I'm out. Get, I want to be on your way. And he'll respond to that. And he'll invite you into his kingdom and he'll walk with you down his new, hard, and narrow way. Let me speak, too, to those of you who are, who are prone to religion. You might find yourself on the religious path, uh, religion and listening to voices that are making you more prideful and more judgmental. And Jesus' path of grace is so much better. His inward transformation that he offers you, the way that he wants to make you new from the inside out is so much better. It's so much better than trying to perform religious acts and try to win the favor of other people by what you do. Would you just choose the way of Jesus and take his path? And for those of you who will find yourself in the world or the path of the world is the one that you find contending for your soul, let me just say that the way to Jesus is the way to true freedom. True freedom is not found in what the world's offering you. It's a trick. It's slavery. True freedom is found in him. And so would you choose today to say, yes, let's, I want to follow the path of Jesus. True freedom 
is found in him. I'd like those who are uh, distributing communion to go ahead and begin to pass out, pass out the elements. And as I do, I want to give us time uh, here at the end of worship to reflect. Uh, one of the things that uh, Paul wrote when he was writing the Corinthian church, talking to them about the way that they should receive communion, he wrote this. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. It's a good thing to do sometimes. We, we do communion different ways and emphasize it different ways, but today I'd like us to heed that warning that, that Paul gave to the Corinthian church, that there's a time in receiving communion where it's good just to reflect. And so while the elements are being passed, y'all can go ahead and pass them out. When you receive them, I'm just going to have us have a moment or two of silence. Uh, Isaiah's going to play a little bit behind us just to provide some, some music, but I want you just to go to God. And think about the path that you're on. Think about the path where you'd like to be and think about the offer of Jesus, the invitation and the warning of Jesus. Consider what ways you might be pulled toward worldliness or pulled toward religiousness. And consider how great it would be to follow Jesus' way. Can I have a kind of silence? I will uh, close up in prayer here after the elements have been received. Spend some time in reflection now. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.